0: are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. What does it take to be a climate activist? What motivates and drives someone to give up the average daily life and devote it to one passion? Meet the social impact pioneer Push In the last 10 years, Push estimates that he has walked over 35 million steps in the name of climate action. In the process, Push has walked with and listened to over a million people. Push walked from Oxford to Copenhagen in 2009, starting his journey, and he really just hasn't stopped since, visiting countries ranging from India to Uganda. Push says... It is the darkest paradox of our times that those who cause so little to the climate crisis have paid with life and livelihood, and yet they are able to show us with just a little power and voice a clear way forward to adapt and mitigate as well as deliver justice. Push joins us to share some of what he has heard during his listening walks. He is the master of connecting dots. Connecting ideas with entrepreneurs, farming co with big business supply chains, policymakers with community builders. So sit back, listen deeply, and then in push style, please take action. So, push, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always wonderful to be part of Business Rights Party because it gives you a, bro- a broader landscape to interact with on issues of justice.
0: Oh, we're delighted to have you and super grateful for you to share your wisdom with us today. And Push, I wanted to start a conversation. So you're a climate activist. Tell us a bit about your activism. and But also, how did you come to to feel so motivated to have to take action?
1: I, I think it goes back to the fact that I was working for Oxfam. I, most of my other life, I worked for Oxfam. And starting, as I call it, from the grassroots to the boardroom, from working in India, Africa. Uh, East Asia, Eastern Europe, and and a global campaigner. So it is is at the heart of the issue. Is that I work with people living in poverty. I keep telling people when you when I say living, I mean specially people can get out of it. So the the impact of uh, climate is something that uh, in our work, in my direct work with communities and so on, I could see it almost about uh, fifteen years ago, and Oxfam itself participated officially with the climate discourse only in COP15. So by that time, I was a global campaigner for moving from trade justice and indeed seeing the impact of uh, climate on trade to climate, Oxfam entered the discourse officially in COP15. So I was was, uh, charged with the responsibility of finding out as a global popular campaigner The word popular campaigner was not really there before trade justice. So my job was to go about and find out what people are facing. So I traveled a lot from the Papua in the east, in Indonesia, up to Uganda. I helped a lot of countries to figure out. I came up with the idea of climate hearing. Of course, hearing and climate hearing is as old as civilization. But how do you have a climate hearing when you know particularly people in the front line being impacted is women who are mostly impacted first, worst, and hardest. So in many places, you can't even reach them, both physically and otherwise. So I had to figure out various ways in which popularly one can access, reach out. So I went around and helped people, and I myself met many of them. In four months' time, we met about 1.5 million women from the East, as I said, right through India, and in Africa, and in other places too, both in the rural and cities and towns and so on. So my direct encounter with these women is what impacted me most, especially in Bangladesh, a woman by name Shorabanu, Banu, who lost her husband because uh, they couldn't really have any more agriculture because the land was getting more and more salty because of the climate impact. And he went to collect a honeybee in the in the forest, and he was killed by a tiger. And she she was blamed. And three right six months down the road, she was hit by Cyclone Isla in two zero nine. She was found half naked on a pile of rubble that was her home. And uh, her story, when I met her, was really heartbreaking. Likewise, in Uganda, I met a group of uh, grandmothers in a place called Ginger. I call them the Grannies of Ginger, who were looking after children. Of the second or third generation, the next generation, and whereas the second generation of men and women died because of war, migration, or whatever, they were not their own grandchildren, but they were looking after. And it was a, it was a story of such a horrible impact and injustice on people who really contributed least to this climate change and then you know in in the darkest paradox of our life that those who did least of the problem paying with their life and livelihood so in uganda something hit me as i call the gandhi movement as my mother used to say that have a little bit of gandhi in you so i found the injustice were excessive i was doing quite well as a campaigner i think known for being innovative and creative in mobilizing the south particularly Trade campaign, we mobilized about 18, 20 million signatures when we took it to the trade global conference on WTO. So, this one, within four or five months, we reached 1.8 million. And this story hit me. The most important thing there was yes, it broke my heart, everything else. But what really kind of fired me up is most of these women, even though they were really facing the worst hardship ever, they went back to reimagine their life again. Like the farmer would go to sow again. The women want to rebuild their house again. And they were calling for justice. But they were also making an effort to rebuild their life. And there, that is where I saw hope. And the hope was a spark to me. And indeed, it is for them. The spark was hope. And that made me realize I have to do something. So I took my annual leave in 2009. Because by that time I had finished the work on popular campaign on campaign, and I had this break. And I decided I would walk from Oxford to Copenhagen. That was my first walk. When I found in, in the most of Europe, nobody even had heard of climate change. And said two other walks I undertook in India, in the southwest, along the oldest mountain called the Western Guard, which is also a regulator of monsoon. So on the one side you have coffee, on the other side is tea. And other crops also. And then um, more recently, I decided, because I'm in this beautiful island, I'm a citizen of Britain, but uh, I've never really discovered Britain much because I've been traveling around. So I decided the cop is happening here. I will walk from London to Glasgow. So in all, I normally count steps because you have to take a step for us to make a change. Once we decide we take a step, we can step forward and we can step up. You have to step up because the time is running out. So I walk. I'm known as a power walker. I walk very fast. I am now 70. I started this walk in 59. I've done about 35 billion steps and probably met about 600,000 plus people directly.
0: Wow. Well, that puts the rest of us slightly to shame as to the amount of action that we've taken, but also the voices, the stories, the people that you meet. And I was really wondering while you were talking about that, About what you've learned, what is it that you take away in terms of key actions from those conversations, from hearing from so many people's experiences?
1: The heart of the matter, I said to you that the people who have caused the problem paying the worst price, especially women. Yeah, that's one of the biggest kind of message. And they are, no matter whether, and they're still hopeful of justice being delivered, meaning somebody will help. But that hasn't made them paralyzed. They keep doing something, which I even discovered now in Zambia when I when I went to Zambia just a couple of weeks ago. So that's one thing I, I learned. The second thing is that many individuals and communities themselves are responding and trying to do something the more and more from 209 up till now. If you take Britain now, I can say four out of 10 people I met are aware of it. And young people particularly are taking so much action, not just Greta Thunberg but everybody else they're very keen I met about 5,000 students in various schools in in the UK walk and got 5,000 letters as I said my key principle is seek truth speak truth speak truth to power so I took these letters and met uh, uh, Lord Goldsmith along with those young leaders so that's the second thing about young people And number three councils and local, uh, both in Britain and in other places also, are also making, you know, huge effort to somehow start addressing because if you have very little resources and you're already facing all kinds of systemic problem in terms of poverty, powerlessness, and so on, this comes like when you're at the weakest, it hits you the hardest. So the kind of resources that you need is more, but it hasn't stopped. Many of the local communities and, and, and councils and so on trying to make an effort, including national government in the, in the south. So uh, there's an action and a response. And there is even in spite of all the battering that they are taking. That's the third. Number fourth is the type of innovators. You know, I just went to India just before I went to uh, Zambia in October. And this is, there's something that I'm supporting called uh, a movement for nonviolent economy. Because one thing is very clear, an emission-driven growth has been phenomenal, and it has created almost obscene wealth. There is no doubt about it. But it is also at the cost of completely destroying the planet. It seems like we have no future in this kind of journey. So when I asked my friend uh, Chris Hank, uh, who wrote a book called Drought, uh, Fire, and Floods, and do we still have hope? He said, "Yeah, we got a small window of opportunity," uh, and he says it comes from individuals and communities and so on. So that's the thing that I've learned. And and since 2009, you know, the Paris COP was a very hopeful one because, but we still have these promises need to be delivered. Even Alok Kumar said before this Egypt COP, he said, "Climate promises made in COP 26 they wither on the wine if undelivered." And it seemed to, but on, there was a little bit of hope because loss and damage was recognized because adaptation is quite different from loss and damage. And I think so there is where I found. And the fourth or the fifth one is about businesses innovating. It's quite a lot of innovation taking place because they find that the existing way of doing business is unsustainable. One second thing is not only the right thing, it's the just thing to do. And that has actually led to many social enterprises and regular businesses starting to explore various new possibilities and showing that this is not a fairy tale anymore. So those are the kind of lessons. And the and the last one I don't want to forget, you know, just I'm just a regular guy with irregular hair trying to do, but I have actually complimented and cooperated. If you take the South India work walk I have done with the coffee. There's already women's group which has come up. There's so much more natural farming that they're trying to do and that they're diversifying the crop. If if you look at the other side, the one I I keep important to my second walk in India in 2015 was to link up fair trade. And today we have nine fledgling fair trade towns in India. It's a new narrative being constructed in India. Every five minutes, somebody is buying a T-shirt, fair traded and also organic. Organic means so much more sustainable, and it has got the power to actually fight the climate impact. That is incredible. There's already £2 million business within the last four or five years. Okay, that's pocket money when you take India. But that is the kind of hope I have. So I'm saying there's action happening. There's new breakthroughs happening. There are many. In this walk I did in India, four weeks, we walked 92 kilometers in the hottest period with about 25 people across from India and across the world, I met many innovators, thinkers, and action takers who didn't even talk about the climate or net zero or whatever. But they're innovating things which is actually showing us a way forward and a path we can go. So the walk that we do, we actually traced that and we wanted to call it the Ahimsa walk, Ahimsa means nonviolent. And we want, like we did here, a fair trade way. So those are all the hopeful things for happening. And if you look at the kind of conversation from Copenhagen and Durban, and then you come back now in Paris and what happened, the breakthroughs that we have had. And now, finally, you know, Africa really, I think, is the worst impacted and the contributed least. And finally, they were able to break through. I was supposed to go to COP, and I decided, no, I don't want to go because let the Africans speak. And I was working with all the youth and all the farmers and women trying to amplify their voices in, in Zambia. And I gave my place to uh, an young woman in Zambia to go and participate because she's a communicator. So those are all the hopeful things I have learned. And I think the most lost of the least is to say, look, we don't have time. Time is running out. Yeah. And we know that the political energy behind global climate action has slowed down in 2022. There are geopolitical, global economic context partly explains that. But the very rich have not had loss. The fossil fuel industry has really reported bumper profit. Though now we got hope because the U.S. government is now much more positive. The EU has made some commitment. But we know that the the action is off pace except for the loss and damage. I think uh, all that tells me the more we have collaboration, the more we have cooperation, the more we co-travel, it is possible for us to have a deeper, transformative, cooperative agenda. But we do need both from the ground right up, visionary leadership. And I think if the businesses started to show that more powerfully, changes can happen. So partnership between the civic and the business is one of the key things I, I'm very, very keen on. That's why my walk when I did the fair trade was to link up. Now, uh, high street businesses are dealing in fair trade and organic shares in India.
0: And I wanted to pick up a little bit more on the, the how you, thank goodness, share optimism. And I think we all need a bit of optimism, especially coming out of the the recent COP in Egypt where sort of there was so much doom and gloom, as you mentioned, there's obviously this sort of ray of hope with regards to the loss and damage. But it feels like there's lots of commitments already made. But as you say, if those commitments aren't delivered against, then they're a complete waste of time. How do we get that leadership? How do we get that action actually going? What's missing? Because as you say, there's it's obviously happening, climate change. It's obviously impacting people. There's bunches of people who really care about it. But Yet, there's this inertia, this you know lack of action how How could we how could we get things moving again?
1: I mean uh, it, it's it's an important question. Thank you so much, Katie. I think you know that's exactly what drew me when Oxham was presenting some of the best papers on it. Uh, when they did get involved, they get involved quite robustly. At that time, I found in Britain that nobody was even talking about. That's why I walked. So I think action is the most important thing. And the difficult aspect about climate is, as my friend uh, Chris Hank would say, you do not know which point and where the the hot spot, you know, the climate will break down and actually wipe out a village. I saw villages being wiped out in India. Um, so it is not uniformly impacting everybody. And indeed, the interesting part is the women who feel. When I walk here in Britain, many grandmothers and mothers came running and hugged me, saying, "Thank you for doing this." And men are tend to be more cynical, if not skeptical. Skepticism I can take, but cynical is quite difficult. So I feel like, okay, this is where we want to really get this combined impact. You know, in 2019, when the young people started to really, really rally around, Britain declared climate emergency. So how did that happen? It's because young people and older generation, there was for all the problems about Extinction Rebellion, One of the good things about that is they brought two generations for a conversation together. So I think this is what we need to do. We need to have, and then, you know, there is, I keep saying that to people, there is no, you know, you can't have a villain and all these godly people. No, it's not like that at all. When I sit for a lunch in India with my family, we have people working in my whole family from World Bank to software to people who make software and give it freely to scientists who have become singers you know we got a whole f- f- our families actually the world and we we can sit together and talk about it so i think we need some of the things that you do in business like poverty it's good i think you need to do it even more not just only virtually but in smaller places right? let's have more and more conversation of actions that are recognized and rewarded yeah at the same time we start to get you know like i just a regular guy, regular, I managed to go and meet the minister along with 5,000 cards. It wouldn't have happened if there was no support from me. Indeed, Unilever helped me to get into the blue zone. So there you go. So I think we, and we, we should not wait from one cop to next. We need to be actually saying, okay, business with poverty, you did this work now. How do we actually make this the ripple effect continuously now every 15 days something special we talk about some recognition is happening so that we keep because the media attention time is becoming less and less more and more visual you know so we have to keep expanding and the and this ripple effect has to go you know it, it, it has to snowball so more and more we do that i think we need to choose key locations or key countries where we can do more so they become this kind of your success point that's what i do as a campaigner And that would actually help. But in any way, the key thing to say is a commitment between businesses, civic, and government, which are actually starting to do more. And then we need to have a repeated action about what we are doing, how we are actually breaking through, uh, even though the time is ticking away. And that would actually keep. Otherwise, you see, after now the loss and damage thing, you look at news, there's nothing. So we have to really look at the media. I said, this is what I did in Zambia when I went. I identified some of the media people. I took them, some of the media people. Of course, I had to accommodate them to travel with me. And some of them, those villages where we went, they never had a, a journalist visit them all their lifetime. And the, once they saw this interaction taking place between me and the community, and then we, you know, even the, the community which is most battered at the end of the day, stand up and sing and dance because we have had this conversation explain to them what it is nobody knows what is net zero nobody knows nature based but they're doing stuff and then and then the media so we got to have this kind of a thing there's a media there's a collaboration with business and others there's a civic coming together because most of the civic tend to work in a very vertical silos too for instance that i was here in eastern province and and met an independent radio station. I didn't even know it was an independent radio station. I thought it was a community radio station. It is set up set up by a previous guy who worked with public sector of the radio uh, communication. And then he happens to be one of the facilitators for an organic movement, which the local NGO did not even know until I met him. So, you know, these kind of things. So we need to look for alternative conversations that is not happening. We need to have repeated action taking place. We need to have identified this. I've, I've written in my Facebook, three men. Normally, uh, we write a lot about women who are change makers in the world climate discourse. I found three men. So I wrote three generations. I wrote a story about them in my Facebook. That's the thing I can do. But someone like business-wide poverty with all the kind of connections on the network that you have, we can do more of that. And therefore, I think we need to keep this attention going all the time. And especially work with the young people and then have this intergenerational conversation. But we also support the women champion, the grandmothers, and then identify this unique set of innovators who are there doing something which we don't even know until when we walk those 100 kilometers in Tamil Nadu, in Madurai, one of the most ancient cities, about 2,000 years old. I met these innovators. I mean, they are doing a lot of stuff. So once you started to meet the, meeting them and talking to them, they feel oh, encouraged that oh, somebody like this crazy guy coming to me. but they need more recognition. So we made the finance minister to meet them. You see, those are the kind of things that I'm, I'm thinking about.
0: Oh, and so important to create those connections and and, the need for people like yourself to 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 join those dots and to do that listening. Um, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about, the business action and business engagement, and we've been thinking a lot about how businesses put people at the heart of their climate action. Some people will talk about climate justice. Others might talk about just transition. There seems to be lots of noise about it or lots of words around it. But I was wondering from your experience, what does that look like? How can businesses put people at the heart of their climate action?
1: I think, look, I I, I tend to use the example of fair trade because there was no fair trade about, you know, into family, if you like, before... Started about forty or fifty years ago, and all those volunteers, you know, started to buy in a simple way, and then they started to put pressure on <clears throat> on retailers like nobody's business. Uh, there are some of the volunteers who work for forty years. I work with about fifteen or twenty of them. Totally, they are done for about five hundred years, you know. But then it started to become a movement in the country, right? In both in Britain, in Netherlands, and in Europe, we have now two 000 towns. So so that is a, one of the key examples I'm saying that the people pressure the consumer. So we got to work with the consumers that to have that. But now the advantage is that, as I said, there are already pioneers and innovators among the businesses and they have got the kind of solutions. But if I am saying that, look, I took that example and in Zambia, if I can illustrate that example, that in, in, in Kanyama is, is, is the largest shanty in Lusaka and really struggling away to glory and there in this little island of eden as i call it, the green center set up by all this world wide Fund, he uh, was and a uh, slum dwellers international and so many others together you see first time they're showing that kind of non branding approach which is the one of the key thing that need to be done and then they set up this center where about 300 women totally about 800 in that area they have got their own biogas you know, they're creating their own uh, compost, which they are selling. They're having a, a, a seedling nursery, which they sell. And then they have this afternoon lunch from which the extra food is given to street children who don't are hungry. And indeed, most of them are quite hungry. So there is this experiment being done and it's running reasonably well. It is financially viable. I also come from a banking background, by the way, before I joined Oxfam. So I look at both the kind of financial business, as well as sustainable and justice issue. So my my there, if we can actually promote more of those centers, and indeed I spoke to them, the village people about that. They said, oh, we would like to see them. So I said, this is what you need. We need somebody to invest in this idea that is working. So what happens if there is surplus of these centers? There's nothing like a surplus really. You can actually produce the seedling and that can be sponsored just like the day we did pay trade. There are many of these uh, super stores that have come up. They can give space for it. You know, these kind of innovations are possible. And once we start to get some businesses interested, and they can actually also advise, you know, businesses, that's why they are, they are in the business of business. So they know some things which will go better, something which can work better. We can have horticulturists who can advise the group well. We can have retailers who can actually help them how to market more. So all that requires some kind of investment. Even if you start as a pilot, you can actually start to multiply that. And likewise, there are many other examples. If you go to southwest, the so-called the Western Ghat of India, it is the peninsular India which supports the sacred river Kaveri. Right across that, you can have a number of businesses. And indeed, I have my closest supporters are a group of women who set up their own coffee business. Women Council for Promotion of Coffee. It sounds really grand. But there's an amazing group, and they came all the way to Madurai 600 kilometers when I was doing the walk. So there are all these things happening, and we need to be making sure that that story is told powerfully and those linkages are made. But in all the places, no matter what we do, we need to get the government really fired up. And that's where I think we need to look at those who are really doing well, even if they don't have the resources. And then highlight the story and indeed bring those kind of people along with the, with, the, with the people in the front line, the communities to have a conversation. In the UNICEF of meetings in Zambia, when I used to work, I would say, oh, can you come and make a presentation? I would say, wait a minute, I'll bring three women from different places where we are working. They will come and tell the story. And it never happened before. And that had an impact. Likewise, the climate uh, hearing that we did here in UK, there's a film already on that. Uh, i had uh, shoraban all the way from bangladesh to come I, I had uh, constance from uganda who became who has now become a global speaker to speak to the parliamentarians of the commonwealth and the south african minister who heard her story he felt very much impacted and he went and did parliamentary hearing in south africa so you know these are the things that comes to my mind immediately. And we can have further discussion on this and to look through where we can do an early picking, where we need to have a medium, short to medium term kind of impact. And obviously there is a long term way of doing things
0: too. Oh, and the way you paint those pictures, Push, I've just got this image of you. You know, there's a a saying about six degrees of separation and one way or another, three, six people will know, you know, anybody around the world. I feel like you are one of the hubs. You're one of the like, the holders of that information, those connections, those stories, the knowledge. And you're like, you're like the telephone operator lady who used to plug in, you know, if you call up the operator and she'd plug you in and you'd be the person sort of sitting there controlling it. But also why that's so important, your role in terms of creating those connections. So, oh, please push, just keep going. <laughs> and I, that really leads me into my next question. You talked about it earlier. We mustn't lose momentum between now and the next COP. We must keep it going. Just lurching from one to another isn't good enough. How do we keep that? How do we create that momentum? What do we need to do between now and COP twenty eight, which I think is in Dubai in twenty twenty three? Like, what is it that's going to get us to that next one where we go, yes, yes, action, action is taken. We're on, on the right track.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to self-promote, please, you know, I have done this with without, in spite of anybody's support. I never raised a penny for my walk until this time when World Wildlife Fund supported my travel. If I had six months more time, I would have probably walked most of it. So the the point that I was wanting to make is that... uh, um, when uh, I was in Glasgow and, and, and none of the Oxfams and others were able to get me into the blue zone. And uh, I had some link with uh, Unilever, especially the one who's working on uh, Thomas Lingard. And uh, he got to know I, I was there and Thomas said, Push, it's really good for us to come and meet you. Where will you be? I said, no, man, I can't come into the blue zone. He said, that is so horrible. And within 24 hours, he got me inside uh, the blue zone. And then we had this meeting together with this whole team and so on. And, and indeed, the story I was telling them is about how I witnessed people fighting for water actually leaving, leading to bloodshed in India. And the, the board of Unilever actually used that in his speech. Yeah. So basically, there. what I'm trying to say is that, you know, one of the things is that people like uh, business and poverty can encourage Um, a regular and irregular guy like me you know, to do this talk in different places and there are others who I can point out they could actually do that too and then have these unusual conversations as I said you know like head of states meeting I do not know women in Zambia organize that kind of a thing let's have a conversation because most of the women there and all as I have written in my story as I said that they don't even know there's a climate impact they were told that because you cut the trees and they accept that So I think, you know, those kind of let us have unusual, exceptional conversations, which has not taken place so far. And let's do it along the seashore. Let's do it along the river, you know, and those kind of things. And and then uh, also to show that these are plans going on. And then uh, get some of the not this is the issue that I'm talking about. When we are trying to campaign, if you start to look at people as your enemy, that you're only looking for annihilation. If you look at anybody, and this is done, this word too, you don't have to be friend, but you look at somebody who can be an alliance, and especially those who are not supporting you, or are blocking you, who have totally, and you know, as they say it from we had delayers, now we have den no, we are deniers, now we have delayers. So how do we change the delays into action-oriented? So I'm saying that this is what we need to have, this all these spotlights going on, not just Davos, not just one meeting here, there, unusual, exceptional. We need to have walks that like my friend David Pearl, as you say, that push, why don't you actually go with a group of CEOs and do a walk? It can be done. You guys can organize that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be me. You know, I don't really care about what me as a person, but I'm going to do this. You know, I started when I was 59. I'm going to be 71 next year. People say, when are you going to retire? But oh, when I stop to breathe, I will retire. So, but I'm just one guy. But there are others I know. So, we can actually bring those kind of things. But as I said, let us choose, let us map out and say where there is, you know, uh, early picking can be done. And where I think this kind of exceptional and unusual stories have not been heard. And where this kind of encounters and consultation and conversation happens. Where, I mean, we could use, and the thing that, in where I succeed most is because I've always used art and artists. You know, when the Poland meeting happened, I got many people to paint across the world, including children who are blind to paint, about how they feel about to have a world without all this impact. And I asked the children to go with one very well-known Peruvian painter and paint on his painting. And he nearly freaked out. But that was one of the biggest stories in South Africa. So I think those are the kind of things that we can do. You know, let us do the exceptional, unusual. Let us bring art, uh, music, like uh, uh, James Chamanyazi, who walked with me. I, I called him because I have a relationship with him for 20 years now. I continue to link. I said, James, why don't you come to Kanyama and walk with me? And the moment he came, all the women, wow, they went. And then we had these songs that he was talking about turning turning around things his own song. And uh, luckily for me that day, the member of parliament was going somewhere and he heard this James and all of us singing and walking and he couldn't, you know, as a politician, he came, what's going on? And we got him immediately for a conversation and he didn't even know that in his own constituency, the green center is there. And he made a promise at that point, I'm going to visit you tomorrow. So, you know, this is something that comes to my mind immediately. But we can talk through this a little bit more if people even you know, better and more intelligent than I am.
0: As you say, we should definitely continue these conversations and, and continue raising the voices and, and creating those connections. Push, you just said earlier on, when I stop breathing, I will retire. And I was wondering, what is next for you then? What What are your next plans?
1: I, I Of course, I want to continue to work on this uh, thing that we are in part of. Normally, when I walk I don't take any particular branding or anybody. Last time when I walked, because the Gandhian movement in India uh, started to see, you know, similar thing happening everywhere. And they identified that our whole effort in order to economically prosper has been one of violence. And uh, they actually interact with uh, the Bhutanese prime minister. Remember, index of happiness. Uh, he actually came to the meeting. So there's something I, would, I, would, I wanted to... The walk we did, we wanted to take that as, if you like, the catchment and with all those innovators and so on, create more and more of that. That was one bit I wanted to continue. The other thing I feel is I want to do something more in Britain because I think the way things are going, you know, Britain even even reduced its annual aid, even though it's really, really pocket money overall when you compare to the other investment and so on. But even that, they're chopped. So how do we get and I feel like, okay, you know, I'm really a nobody in this country, but uh, I will try my best uh, to link up and I want to do a little bit more. And I know my council here in Cambridge, we have a lot of women councillors who are phenomenally good, including an artist and so on. So I'm thinking personally, I want to interact a little bit more at this level and starting to kind of uh, really have a anchor a little bit more in Britain while I'm still continue to link up with. What's going on? But in the meantime, our conversation could lead us into something more. I'm happy to give my time. But mind you, uh, honestly telling, I I live on an extremely small pension. And and that has not stopped me. Thanks to my wife, you know, from time to time, she goes to teach us somebody. And um, so I just want you to know that. Um, so but this is what I want to do, and uh, the families actually nearly want they wanted me to stop because they felt like you know I'm growing older. What happens if uh, my wife never used to worry before, but now she worries a lot when I travel? But I said, No, this is what gives me life, and uh, I want to do more. And I know from what I do because I have a personal narrative, right? I ask, Why do people come like this in India when I walk? on the coffee trail along the river Kaveri, I met about 30,000 people, but every night I used to go to radio, but radio is another good thing to uh, concentrate on and I was reaching about a million people and the next day in in towns 2,000, 3,000 people will wait for me thinking some kind of a godman is walking very fast, so you know those kind of things that uh, and I found that why do people respond to me like this and in a a place about 3 kilometers of the road they wash and they put uh, What they call rangoli in india which is a traditional design almost like i'm some kind of a special guy which i'm not but the fact that i was walking and i walk in fast made them think about it so you know that actually tells me that why did they do that because they feel there's a story there is an authenticity in what i say over my long period of working with people living in poverty across the world and my continued relationship with many of them so i think there are many like me and I want to do a little bit more of that and connect with. That's why. That's why I wanted to link to the nonviolent economy. I'll send you the paper. By the way, you can take a look at it. And uh, and and that gives me a link to all these people, and especially young people. When I'm, I i did not believe that the British young students would actually even look at me when I was walking. But I didn't realize what a what a phenomenal impact I seem to have had. Would, nothing but walk, walk fast, reach out. Tell them the stories of what is happening. Tell them the stories of this great, uneven impact on the industries. And then tell them how powerful they are and they respond very well.
0: Well, on that note, I want to wish you all the best and keep going, keep walking, keep listening, keep sharing with us. We would love to hear from you anytime. Push, thank you very much for your time today with us. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback, so please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.